I appreciate your prayers. A preacher's voice is his livelihood, so uh, so I do appreciate your prayers this morning. And uh, I just want to say, first of all, I just want to say I'm sorry. It wasn't Doug's fault that he, I didn't tell Doug uh, when time to come up here, and it wasn't Luke's fault either for not having that together. I put that on him at the last second. So uh, everything rises and falls on leadership. So uh, I'm sorry about that for not being as organized as we could have been this morning, but I appreciate your grace, and so uh, and you have lots of grace with me, and uh, and I really, really appreciate it. I need it, don't we all? Amen. And uh, Romans eight one, probably the most fantastic statement in all the Bible. I've grown to love it more and more over the years. I love this verse. It's one of the best, and one of the best. And uh, you say, how do you pick out a best verse? I don't know. I I listen to one preacher quite frequently. And every time I hear him preach, he always says, this is the most critical statement in all the Bible. I mean, every single time that he preaches, he'll say, this is the most important verse in all the Bible. And, and I think that's how you ought to feel sometimes when you're preaching the Word of God. Is that when you're preaching, it's that time that you preach. You're preaching that, that day, and you're preaching that at that time, because you feel at that time, at that very moment, that very second, that this is the most critical, most important, most fantastic verse that you could possibly look at. If you didn't think that, then you should be preaching the one that you did think that it was. And, so, and this is the one the Lord's put on my heart. I wanted to do something else, but God said no, and he directed us, directed us over here, I believe. Let's read it together, and, uh, and I do mean together. Let's read it all together here this morning in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Um, you might have a Bible uh, translation that doesn't have that last phrase in there, and uh, or maybe it's written in the mar margin right there. And I do believe that to be a critical error. Um, that is something that needs to be made sure. This is the heading verse of all the, of all the chapter. And I believe the apostle, by the hand of God, by the mouth of God, inspired for that whole thing to be there. It needs to be there. It's the great heading uh, to this whole chapter of what we are in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says it again in verse number 4, just to back it up, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That verse is not conditional. This is not a conditional word in what he says to us in verse number one, who walk not after. It's not that uh, there's no condemnation if you don't walk in the, if, as long as you walk in the Spirit. That's not the way that verse is read. There's no condition upon this. This is who you are in Christ. I taught this some months ago because we only have a uh, Bible study for men only once a month, but I taught some of this and we've been going through Romans 8 but this was just put on my heart again, and I wanted the whole congregation to get a hold of this. And I think if we did, we would be better Christians. We'd be better Christians for it if we could just get a hold of this one simple pr tr truth here that we have in our Bibles. The truth that we sang about in the song, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Perhaps one of the greatest songs, hymn songs, that we, has ever been written concerning our security and confidence that we have in Jesus Christ uh, by Charles Wesley. And that great song right there. Uh, even the song that we sang, Lord, I'm Coming Home, that's a great confidence that the hymn writer had in that song. Even Johnson Oatman, who wrote the song before that, uh, that uh, lets us know that he was looking for higher ground. He wasn't talking about this earthly ground. He was looking for heaven. He was looking for heaven. And I tell you, that's what a believer ought to be doing. If you're saved, 
you need to understand that now that you're saved, there exists now no condemnation whatsoever to you. None. Whatsoever. There exists a great assurance for all believers that are in Jesus Christ. I believe that is why Romans 8 was written. It's for that purpose. God wrote it for us in order that we might understand and believe and have it sunk down into our hearts very deep that we as believers possess a salvation that the Bible calls everlasting or eternal. Many times we're looking at our salvation in a purely external sense. We're looking at how we do things, how we live. We oftentimes call that sanctification. think that we want to measure our salvation by the standards that we or others have set up for us. And as long as we are fitting with inside of those parameters, then I'm a good little Christian boy or Christian girl. As long as I'm meeting those particular criteria that we've set up for ourselves, then I'm okay. But if I fail that certain requirements and criteria enough, then Maybe I'll lose what God has given to me. Maybe I'll somehow have that taken away from me. If I fail in these things, we'll even ask ourselves, am I saved? But the whole point of Romans 8, I believe, is not to give us a standard on sanctification. I don't believe that is the case at all. Romans 8 is not written for our sanctification. It is written for a very awesome purpose, and that is for our glorification. Look at your Bibles in Romans chapter number 8. Again with me in verse number 28. You all know this verse. This is probably one of the most well-known verses in our Bibles, at least in your New Testament. We know that all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose, it says. And then look what it says. Verse 29, for whom we did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And then he also justified, them he also, what does he skip over? Look at what does he go right to? Glorified. 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 You see, the Christian walk and the Christian life is just that. It's the Christian walk and the Christian life. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. Too many times we're getting the cart before the horse. Too many times we as Christians think, I'll get sanctified and then I'll get to know the Lord. That's what happens. But it's always those few believers that fall into a deeper understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ that they become the faithful and stable believers amongst the church. When people get a righteous understanding of who they are in Christ... Instead of trying to fulfill requirements, I'm not saying don't be holy. Uh, sanctification is going to come up in the book of Romans. We're not there yet in our men's Bible study. won't be there for some time, but you'll get there in Romans chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15. It's going to come out all over the place. Sanctification is a real thing. We ought to do all the commandments of God. If you love me, what does he say? Jesus say, keep my commandments. So there is no doubt that we ought, not to, be, that we ought to be keeping the commandments of God. But the more you know God, And who you are in Christ, I believe the better you'll be at keeping his commandments. That's what happened to the Jews. That's definitely what happened to the Jews. You read the book of Deuteronomy. God tells them over and over, over and over, 
He says, search me with all your heart. Search me with all your heart. Search me with all your heart. Fear me. What was he telling them? Know me. Know who I am. And what happened to the Jewish nation? Well, they regulated everything to a list of standards. And they said, well, I can't keep that, and I can't keep this, and I can't do that. And so they started offering uh, themselves over to false gods and doing all kinds of things. Why? Because they'd failed to know the Lord. They failed to know the Lord. And that's the exact same thing that happens to Christians. We fail to know the Lord. One of the most outstanding Christians that we have recorded in our Bible is the man named Paul the Apostle. And I want you to listen to his own testimony. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. So I thought he was the greatest Christian of all time. I thought he was the greatest Christian in all the Bible. Oh, that's what you just said. Yes, he is, but here is his testimony. I may know him. That's what I want to do. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made conformable unto his death. And I ask you this morning, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you are in Christ? Or let me say it like this. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Romans 8.1 gives to us three simple reasons to why we can believe and understand that we are saved forever. Number one is this. There is no condemnation. Simply put, there's no judgment. Once you get saved, there's no more judgment. Take your Bibles, if you will, over to the book of John. John chapter number 3 and verse number 18. Let me just show you something here real quick. I hesitate to bring you to too many verses this morning because I intend to keep this very simple and try to keep it as short as I can. I don't want to give you the whole doctrine of eternal security in one message. I think that would overwhelm all of us, including myself. So uh, people have written books upon it, volumes. But look here at Romans chapter three, or excuse me, John three and verse number eighteen. John three eighteen. You're familiar with John three sixteen. But the rest of the chapter is just as good. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Praise God. See, this is not new teaching with Paul. Some people think, well, this is new teaching with Paul. A lot of people say things like that. This is not new teaching with Paul. This is the teachings of Christ. This is the teachings of our Lord. This is coming from the Apostle John who wrote down the words of the Lord. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You're already judged. You say, how? How am I already judged? What have I done? You have not believed upon the name of the only begotten Son of God. That is what it is. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. What is the light? Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's what he said. Lest his deeds should be reproved. You know why lost men and women do not want to come to Jesus Christ? is because they do not want to have their sins exposed. That is why. That's simply it. You say, no, they want to believe in this. No, they don't want to have their sins exposed. They don't want their sin to be out there in the open and be public to God, and they want to keep that hidden in a closet, and maybe God will forget these things and not remember these things. But I'll tell you, my friend, God will bring all secret things to light one day. 
He knows all things. He knows the deepest recess of your heart. He knows what you do in your bedroom all by yourself. He knows everything that you've looked up on there. No matter how many times you delete the history on your phone, he knows every single bit of it, okay? He knows it all. He knows what you're seeing. And may all of us have a great healthy fear of God in that matter, in that regard, that we understand that God sees everything. But why do lost men and women not come to him? They don't come to him because of this very reason. They don't want to be exposed before God. They don't want to be naked and open before God. They don't want their hearts to be open before him. And so they want to hold on to their sin, to their pleasures, to whatever it is. And they don't want to repent. But he that doeth the truth, what happens to him? He comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So this teaching that we have here in front of us in Romans chapter number 8, go back to it, that there is now for now no condemnation is definitely not new with Paul. Jesus taught this. What is he saying here in this verse? He's saying this. He's literally saying this. He's saying that God is no longer standing against those that are in Christ. That's the word condemnation. The word condemnation is two words in your Greek language. It is literally the word stand and against, or as we might say it, to stand against somebody. And uh, that's what God is doing to those that do not believe in him. He is standing against them. He is against them. He is not for them. He is against them. He's pushing them back. But when you are in Christ, he says, I am no longer standing against you. And the reason is this, because he cannot stand against you, because if he stands against you, then he stands against his son. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are what? In Christ. In Christ. I want you to think about your body for a moment. Think about your heart. All right? Jesus Christ is the body. He's everything. He's all. You're in him. Think about that illustration. Let's say you're a, a lung in the body of Christ. Okay? If God stands against Christ, he stands against you, the lung, what does he stand against? He stands against the whole body. He doesn't just stand against the lung. He stands against all of it. Here he is. It's all or nothing. You see, the point it being is this, is that if God has to judge you again, even though you're in Christ, then he would also have to judge his own son again. But we know that that is not true at all. Hebrews 9 tells us plainly, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. Hebrews 9:26 says, "For then we must have suffered sin, or excuse me, for then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How many times did Jesus Christ come to die on this earth? Class? Once, all right? One time. That is it. That is a great illustration to how, to how many times that you need to be saved. Once. Because if you had to be saved twice, if you could lose it and you had to be saved again, then guess what? He would also have to judge his son again. That is the logical working of that. He has died once for us, and it is sufficient. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many and to look upon them for him to look for us, or excuse me, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's it. Christ suffered once. 
And I say to bolster your faith in Jesus Christ that you in Christ Jesus right now are saved. And God has no condemnation upon you at this very moment. We are too oftentimes very subjective in our faith. We are too subjective. We say, well, I don't feel saved. Well, I don't feel saved. Well, you might even be thinking this morning, well, that's how you feel about it. You need to stop that irrational speech. That's illogical. Let me illustrate. If I leave my house and I tell one of my girls, make sure y'all wash the dishes before I go. Before, excuse me, before I come back. I say, make sure y'all wash the dishes before you come back. They say, okay, daddy, we'll take care of that. Now, the boys, they weren't there. And there's a big pile of dishes. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's been one of them, it's just been one of them days, you know what I mean? Anybody knows what one of those days or a couple of days are like when you just don't get it to the dishes and everything and they're just piled up, there's pots and pans everywhere. I mean, it needs, I mean, the whole crew needs to come in on this thing. I mean, it's one of those deals. It's not just a few coffee cups and a couple spoons, okay? And the, the boys come in and they say, Daddy said, we got to wash the dishes. We need some help and get these things done. And the boys say, well... That's not how I feel about it. Well, that's not how I interpret what Daddy said. Uh, that's, not, that's, not how, that's not what I think that he said. The girl said, no, listen, I'm telling you. Dad said that we need to get the dishes done. Those are the, that's the word on it. I'll tell you, there's going to be certain repercussions when I come home and they say, well, I just didn't feel like doing it. That's not how I interpreted it. That's not what I thought you said. Listen, my word is not up for debate or explanation. You understand? If I say to do this, then that's what I mean to do. I mean that. I don't mean uh, do the dishes next week. I mean do the dishes before I get home. Is there anything too hard to understand about that? There's not. Listen, how many times do we take God's word and we, if I can, put this in quotations, interpret it? We say, well, that's not how I feel about it. That's not what I think. No, the word says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What is so hard to understand about that? There is no judgment at all. Jesus has suffered the penalty for you and for me and for all of our sin. If we could somehow lose our salvation and then Christ, God, must put him back on the cross again and again and again and again. And Hebrews chapter 6 and verses number 6 and 8 also condemn that teaching also. And tell us that it was impossible to renew them again under repentance. Why? Because if they had to do such a thing, they would be crucifying to themselves again the Son of God afresh and putting him to open shame. They would be putting him to shame every single time. So the question you have to ask yourself is this. Is there condemnation in those that are in Christ or is there not? Well, I hope you say there's not. Number two. The second simple reason that he gives to us why there is no condemnation, why we're saved forever, why we're saved eternally is this, is that you are in Christ. Now, I thought you said that, preacher, but yes, but I want to put a special emphasis on those, that little phrase, in Christ, in Christ. What were you in before Christ? Well, our Bible teaches us that you were in Adam. You were born in sin. Every single one of you that I'm looking at right now, if I had a mirror, I'd be looking at myself. We're all born in sin. 
We come forth from the womb speaking lies. The moment that a child is able to uh, give, is able to exercise its own will against his, his parents that have loved him, that have taken care of him, that have watched over her and changed her little stinky, dirty diaper, and the first time that that little child is able to exercise its will, and you say, now don't touch that, and that little child is going to look right at you and say what? Anybody want to guess? No. Or they're going to go. That's what, they, that's what they're going to do. They're just... What are you going to do about it? And they're going to stand back and see what happens. That's what's going to happen. Why is that? I see some of your parents looking at your children because you know that's what they did and everything. That's exactly what happens. Why is that? Because they're all sinners. One little one preacher one time, every time one preacher one time walked into a uh, hospital and there was a little baby in the in the nursery and. Uh, he looked over in that little crib, and he said, man, that's the cutest little sinner I've ever seen. Now, I don't recommend you ever do that, all right? I would never do that or anything. But he's right theologically. Might have not been right philosophically at that moment in time or for edification. But nonetheless, he's right. They're all little sinners. We're all born sinful. We're all born in sin. Now, unless there's any confusion, I do not believe that the little child in that little state right there that has uh, no ability to think right or wrong if it were to pass away that it would ever go to hell I think God has great mercy upon those little children I don't want there to be any confusion with that don't think I don't think I know some of our brains can think in that way I just want to clear that up right now but the point being is this is that you're all in Adam before you're saved you're in Adam Romans chapter 5, I don't, I'd, I'd love to take you through all, uh, 20, uh, all 12, 12 or 13 verses of this. But in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 17, I'll just give you one, says this. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So which is it? Are you in Adam still? Are you in Christ? Which one are you? Have I received Christ Jesus the Lord? Have I believed upon him as my Lord and Savior? Have I received his righteousness? Am I coming to God with none of my merit, none of my goodness? I come to God alone with nothing of my own, my, nothing in my hand I bring, says the old hymn writer. Simply to the cross I cling. Is that what you do? Is that what you have done? And my friend, you need to stop asking yourself, am I saved? And you need to say, I am saved because I'm in Christ. I'm not in Adam anymore. And then again, think about this logically. If you could lose this wonderful salvation, then what would that mean? Well, that would mean this. Is that God would have to take you out of Christ and put you back into Adam. And then if you were to be saved again, then God would have to take you again out of Adam and put you back into Christ. What have I effectively just taught you there? Listen to this. Now stay with me. I know this might be a little bit of, um, but I'm trying to be reasonable with you this morning. Is that such teaching, such teaching is just simply hypocritical. And if we're, not if, we're not, if we're not careful, we can take it to the extent of heresy. You say, well, I think that I can lose my salvation. I have thought I can lose my Am I a heretic? Listen to me for a moment. Just listen to me. I'm saying you're treading on thin ice. What does the word say? The word says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
if you were able to be taken out of Christ and put back in Adam, do you know what that effectively is saying? Is that you can die spiritually once in Christ. You know what that is saying? Follow me here. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not effectual. And you're also saying that Christ could die again. Think about that. Now you see how I can get, I can get, you can get very far track on this, far side, side, sideways on this thing. But we need to think through these things logically so that we understand what we're thinking about. So that we understand what we're actually saying to ourselves whenever we say, am I saved? Am I, am I really saved? Did I lose it somehow? What are, you, what are we saying when we say these kinds of things? What we're saying is this, is that we're oftentimes having a great misunderstanding between sanctification and glorification. We're saying, if I do these things, then I'm saved. If I don't do these things, then I've lost my salvation or I'm not saved. Here's the thing. What must you do to be saved? You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. I love that verse. It's so simple. It's so complete. Paul says that those that do such things, are there's no condemnation, for you are in Christ. Now, I, we sang the song this morning, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, but still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Johnson Oatman wrote that song. You can tell it's an old song, Johnson Oatman. I mean, it sounds like some good, uh, uh, some good sausage brand or something like that. I don't know, but, uh, but I don't know anything about Johnson Oatman. I actually didn't do any research on him. I didn't want to. I knew about Johnson Oatman enough to read his song, and I knew what he thought, and I knew what he believed. This is what he believed. It's very simple. Oatman was looking for glory. Was he going to live for God till he got there? Amen, he was. He was going to pray. Did you sing the song this morning? He was going to fight. I mean, Satan's darts at him are hurled, it said. I mean, he was going to go and fight the devil. He was going to fight fears and doubts. He was going to that assail him. I mean, he was going to do whatever it took to get to heaven. But what was his main motivation? It was glory. That's what it was. Set my feet on higher ground. Oh, not a higher plane that we're talking about here. Not a higher level of spirituality that we have here. But he was saying, I want to go to heaven. That's my main. That's where I'm going. That's what I want. And some of you this morning might be still feasting in the lowlands. Low, low you're on low ground. You're saved. You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ. But you're trying to live like you're in heaven, but you're so unsure about going to heaven that you can't even live like you are a Christian. You need to settle that. Am I in Christ or not? If you are, then be sure about it. Now, here's the third thing. He says there's no condemnation, no judgment. Number two, you, you're in Christ. Amen? Praise God. No longer in Adam. And then thirdly, you're a spiritual person now. He tells us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Remember what I said to you earlier? That verse does not say, we get it confused sometimes. We read it like this in our minds. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus as long as I walk in the flesh and not after the Spirit. That's not what the verse says. We read things like that, don't we, sometimes? Do you read your Bibles like that sometimes? I do. 
I, I'll, I, I have, sometimes I have read a verse in, my, in God's word, and I thought that God was trying to say this through many years of uh, reading the word of God. And then one of the days, guess what I actually do? I actually read the Bible. <laughs> I don't read into it for what I think it should mean. I just read it for what it really says and how God is good in that thing. And, I've been in, and my wife says, you've been saying that all, all year. I've been enjoying my Bible reading. Man, the Bible is just so rich. It's God's word. I have, that has hit me so much this year more than anything else. This is the word of God. It's the word of God. This is God's word on it. We don't believe that a lot of times. We don't believe it is. If we believed it more, we'd do it more. When I say we, I'm putting myself, I'm putting that self in, I'm not saying you. We. Third person. All of us. This is the word of God. And we're oftentimes looking for this or for that. You know what? We need to stop looking for this way. People are saying there's a secret. There's a new thing. There's a new book out there. Thomas or some other book or whatever, you know. Man, wouldn't it be great if just people just read the book that God gave us in the first place? Stop looking for secret things. Stop looking for this or for that, for experiences or for visions or for signs or for wonders. Uh, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. We don't want to be that generation, amen? We want to be a generation that takes God's word at face value for what it means. It says, this is it right here. This is the word of God. Believe it and know it to be true. He says, these are the people that walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. This is a general statement. When you're saved, guess what? You become a spiritual man or woman. You say, well, I didn't act very spiritual yesterday. You should have seen the way I treated my wife. Well, I understand that. That happens. That can happen. And that happens in the Christian walk and in the Christian life. Just because you're a spiritual person doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. We don't teach that here. Why is that? Because guess what? You still have this. Do you realize that as a Christian that your redemption is not complete? You say, now preacher, you're saying that I'm saved forever. Now you're saying redemption's not complete. What is, which one is it? Just look at yourself. It's not done. I hope it's not done. <laughs> Man, I see myself in the mirror every single day. This isn't done. What you see here isn't done. God's got more work to do on me and on you that are saved. He's going to change you. He's going to change your body. You're going to be sinless one day. You're not going to have any. You're going to, one of these days, the tears are going to be wiped away. One of these days, the pain, the sorrow, the hurt that you've experienced in this life is all going to be gone. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need to be looking for. That's what we need to be pressing on towards. We're looking forward to that day. We as Christians too many times forget about heaven, don't we? We forget that heaven's coming. It's real. Man, we should say, I want to go to heaven. I can't wait to go to heaven. I can't wait to get rid of this body. Oh, I'm going to keep living for God, and I'm going to keep doing the best that I can do for him. I'm going to keep my nose in his book and my, and my knees on the ground. Amen? I'm going to keep fighting the devil, all that he tries to throw at me, and I'm going to do the best that I can. But here's the deal. Is that I'm going to heaven one day, and I know that, and I'm excited about it. 
I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to it? When you get saved, you're a spiritual person. You begin a walk in the Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus told Nicodemus what? You must be born again. And then he said these words. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You ever heard this before? It's true. You're either going to be born once and die twice. Or you're going to be born twice and die once. You say, what does that mean? If you're only born once, you'll experience the second death. You'll die your physical death, and you'll die the spiritual death in the lake of fire. But if you're born twice, praise God, you only have to die once physically, and then you go to glory. Praise God for that. We need to be thankful for that. So here's the ultimate question. Do you stand condemned before God today or not? If truly you say, I don't know, that I think that there's three answers, I think, with that. Yes, no, or I don't know. I believe somebody that says, I don't know, is being honest. And they need to be honest. You don't need to say yes, and you don't need to say, you need to say no if you don't know. I think you need to be able to come underneath some counseling and have somebody take the word of God and help you to know. Need more time with that thing. Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Are you a spiritual being or a fleshly being, an earthly being? Listen to me, my friend. Have you believed upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Then there is therefore now no condemnation to you. None whatsoever. No judgment. In two minutes, let me say this. You say, what's the application? The application is simple. Once you have a knowledge of this, of who you are in Christ, now respond upon it. Act upon it. Live it out. Mortify, therefore, the deeds of the body. Why? Because that's not who you are anymore. Amen? A citizen of his own country, a, country, a person of his own country like America, I'm a citizen of America, I, I, and, there's a, or, or, and there's a, suddenly there's a war that breaks out between us and France. Well, I'm an American. And if I was called upon to that war, I wouldn't just go over there and say, well, I'm going to fight with France now. Why would I do that? Because I'm an American. I, I enjoy, I'm going to act like a citizen of the country that I'm a part of. That's what I'm going to act like. That's the way I'm going to be. Missionaries, whenever they go to missionary candidate school, they are told and they are told and they are told again to adapt to the culture they are in because they need to reach those people. You need to reach those people. Act like they would act, eat what they would eat, do what they would do. Of course, do all those things in a godly manner. What is the point? The point is you're in that nation. You're there. You're in this nation. Are you in the nation of Jesus Christ? Then act like it. Live like it. Respond like it. You're not going to live to the flesh anymore because that's not natural. That's not who you are. You see, what's amazing about this is this, that whenever you're saved, that even in a sin, even when you sin, you think spiritually about sin. 
You say, how does that work? Well, you sin. You do something wrong. You curse out your wife, you know. I hope nobody curses out their wife. I'm just trying to use the most obnoxious illustration here, you know. You curse out your wife. You curse out your husband, you know. And what do you do? You go back to your room and you feel like a sorry dog. And you tell your wife that you're sorry. And she says, I don't forgive you right yet. I need some time, you know. <laughs> you know. But she's a Christian too, and she says, I forgive you. But then there's still something as a believer that's not settled yet. You told your wife you're sorry. You maybe even had to tell your children you're sorry about something. Maybe you had to tell your boss you were sorry about something. But you know there's still not something right. You know you got to go to God and get the thing right before God. You know there's no moving forward in life until you get that thing right with God. I mean, you're just stuck in a rut. And so you humble yourself. You find a quiet little place. You find your prayer closet. Where's your prayer closet at? You got one? You need to find one. You go to your prayer closet, you get on your knees, and you say, God, I should have never done that. I've not only hurt my wife, I've not only hurt my children, but God, I've hurt you. What have you just done there? You've just exemplified the very fact that God is living inside of you. God is living inside of you. And even in your sinful errors, you think about things spiritually. Two examples, and I'm done. Judas betrayed the Lord. And he did something that many people do so sadly, and they don't need to. But rather, he regretted it, and he went and committed suicide. So sad. There was no need for that. If you're struggling with suicide, struggling with any of those kinds of things, there's no need for that. Listen to me, my friend, is that whenever Jesus saw Judas that day in the garden, whenever he was about to betray him, he looked at him and he said, what, friend? Betrayest thou me with a kiss? Do you realize that God still loves you? He loves you. But then you have another man, Peter, who doubted the, denied the Lord three times. And then he went and wept bitterly. He went and wept bitterly. He repented of himself. He repented. And he stayed there with his apostles until Christ came. My friend, listen to me, is that the world, the world ignores Christ when they sin. They put him off. They want anything to do with him. But as a believer, when you sin, you want to confess your sins to God and be restored unto him. See, when you get saved, now you have the power to live for Christ. As Doug just read, nay, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let us all remember who we are in Christ. You can have great confidence, not in the flesh, but in the one that you're trusting in to save you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we're thankful.